Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle podcast. It is our post-game show for the old Oak and Bucket game. Hopefully uh, we don't have any technical difficulties today like we did yesterday. Uh, It is a dreary Monday. I'm your host, Sammy Jacobs. Our co-host, TJ Inman, will be along here shortly. We're going to go over IU's 26-24 win over Purdue to get bowl eligible, their fourth Old Oak and Bucket victory in a row, their most since... 1944 through 1947. We'll also talk about possible bowl destinations for the Hoosiers um, and also a short uh, season wrap-up, what we liked, what we didn't like, and what we need to see uh, coming out of bowl practice. And joining us now is uh, TJ Inman. TJ, how are you? I'm doing well, Sammy. Thanks, uh, thanks yeah, to all of those who listened to us throughout the uh, you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. It works. Tremendous. Sorry, okay. Yes, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, so it was a, a long process yesterday, so excuse the celebration. Yes, yes. Uh, just a, a thanks before we get going to all the people that uh, listened to us throughout the regular season uh, and, and followed all of our content throughout the regular season. We are, uh, first and foremost, thrilled to be able to uh, – to move on to postseason content, which will include a, a bowl trip for Indiana, despite uh, seemingly doing everything possible to make sure that didn't happen. Indiana, uh, perhaps the best way to put it, was uh, the survivor of a very ugly, ugly contest on Saturday. But uh, that's irrelevant. You know, the, the style points of it uh, are ultimately going to be forgotten because uh, the the only fact that we have is Indiana's going back to a bowl game, uh, back-to-back times for the first time since 1991, and uh, and four straight buckets for the first, first the only the second time ever, and the first time since the mid 40s. Uh, so you know, for me, I <laughs> it's just much easier to dissect and uh, and kind of moan about a very poor performance. Much easier to do that. Much less. Uh, after Indiana survives and wins as opposed to uh, another close defeat. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, there there have been a lot of articles written in the last couple of days, uh, some by, you know, the state newspaper, uh, the Indy Star, with with Greg Doyle putting out that this rivalry was one for the dogs, uh, that both teams stink and and all that. And, you know, it just – made me angry. He's he's a great writer um, with tremendous storytelling skills, but, you know, I don't think he gets the the history of, of IU football, where they have been, uh, that they're the no. uh, team with the most losses in FBS history. Now, there's teams with worse winning percentages, uh, but IU is, 
you know, played football for over 130 some odd years. Um, and it's, uh, you know, they have the most losses. So going to back-to-back bowl years, this is their 11th bowl ever. Um, so, you know, you've got to take that into account. And Purdue, they had some good players. David Blau throws a good ball. Jake Replogle is a monster in the middle, as we saw Saturday. Um, and they had some, you know, D'Angelo Yancey will be playing on Sundays as well. So you yep. knew that they were going to get Purdue's best shot, and, and they did. So to me, it was I, – I thought it was IU's worst performance of the year overall, uh, given, mm-hmm. you know – you know, against Wake, Wake Forest is a bowl team. Northwestern is a bowl team. But against Wake Forest, yes, Lego threw for five interceptions, but he also set the school record for passing yards. Um, against Northwestern, yeah. he threw for 359 yards. They they moved the ball. They just couldn't capitalize. But the game on Saturday, the offense never really got going. They uh, against the, a defense that was ranked 121st in, in scoring um, and in rushing yards, they just it, it just got off to a slow start with the pick and just they never really got anything going. And to me, overall, that was the worst offensive performance of the year. But they, you know, they found a way to win. The defense stepped up and played a tremendous game. Um, you, you know, we were talking about during the game. Purdue's first half, they didn't have a drive longer than, I believe, 38 or 39 yards. Uh, You know, it resulted in 17 points or 16 points. But you see the positions where the defense is put in. Purdue started their first drive at the IU one-yard line. Uh, You know, they scored on one play. Markel Jones is a talented back um, who might be banged up, but, you know, he's a talented guy. They're going to score. But to me, the most impressive thing was the amount of times Purdue got the ball deep in IU territory, and the defense held. Uh, there was that interception by Xander Diamant, which was just an awful throw um, to nobody uh, in particular, at least on Indiana. Uh, and Purdue got the ball at the 31-yard line and, and ended up punting. Uh, now, a lot of that yep. is due to the defense. Some of it was due to uh, an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that pushed them back. But to me, this defense won that game, and, and you saw big plays by Marcus Oliver and T. Gray Scales and, and Jonathan Crawford, who has quietly had one of the better years uh, for an IU uh, safety. So, uh, to me, the defense yep. won the game. That was encouraging. I rewatched the game last night, and, and it was amazing that this uh, this is a game that IU had no business winning, uh, and they came out on top. And, and that's a combination of just how bad things are going for Purdue right now and how good this IU defense has been playing. So, to all those writers who paratroop in for a couple of games, don't understand the history of IU football and, and don't understand the history of of the bucket game uh, and all of that, you know, maybe take it, you know, talk talk to some people who, who have an idea of that history, who appreciate uh, the history of a rivalry game in college football because, you could throw the records out the game out the window. Yes, it was an ugly game, um, but you know a, a win is a win. And and for those, uh, I think also Doyle said that that safety they were scared to punt. Well, of course they were scared to punt. They had two punts blocked against Michigan the week before, yeah. and with 11 seconds left, 
that taking that safety might have been the best play call of Kevin Wilson's career at Indiana. Um, it was a smart play, That's, yeah. Even though even though Diamant um, Diamant was giving me a heart attack on it, scrambling around and, and faking running out at the <laughs> one yard line. Um, but it, it was a brilliant play call. It ran. I, I, I thought there was 11 seconds left, ten. but it, they ran yeah, the clock down to, to, to one to one second, um, and, and then the, you know uh, last play. So you know, yeah, I, I hate to be rude, but sometimes people have got to get a clue. And, and to me, it was a well-written uh, article, and I don't want to spend all all my time on this, but you know, get a clue. That that was a brilliant, brilliant play. Uh, by Kevin Wilson, and you know we we've been criticizing play calling, and we will criticize play calling going forward, uh, especially um, in the red zone where where they ranked last in the FBS. So to me, that's the, those are my initial thoughts from the game. Uh, TJ, what are yours? Yeah, I'll piggyback off the last point there, and it's something that uh, you know during uh, during the timeout before. Uh, before Indiana brought the offense back out onto the field, I was I was not even considering uh, from where they were on the field. I wasn't even considering taking an intentional safety. Uh, I was, you know, as Greg Doyle says, they were scared to punt the ball. Well, yeah, as they should have been. Uh, the punt game has been a at, look, disaster. Like you, it's, it's we, been we a exchanged disaster. a text message. Yeah, we exchanged a text message last night. Uh, for content later on this week, uh, and you made a good point that it was a great day for special teams when nothing catastrophic happened, and that's a that's a very apt point, and it's one that it would not have been incredibly stunning, given the way the day had gone and given the way the season had gone for the special teams unit uh, to see you know maybe the snap is bobbled and, and Gideon drops it and then or I think the most likely scenario is. Gideon gets a punt off. Gideon gets. Well, I think the most likely scenario is that Gideon gets a, a quick punt off, uh, knowing that Purdue be trying to block it. So he gets a quick punt off, shanks it, and Purdue gets the ball at at you know around midfield. I think that's probably the most likely scenario. And there's maybe I don't know seven or eight seconds left, and and you know maybe they get uh, one short pass out of bounds and then throw deep, but at 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 absolute worst, that safety that Indiana took uh, prevented them from getting anywhere near midfield, uh, and you know on those those squib kicks uh, off the safety, uh, you know you're you're really uh, it, you're you're hard pressed to do anything other than have a miracle occur uh, to get anywhere close to the end zone. So I, I thought that was a very good play call. That as soon as as soon as Diamond came out and took the snap, I knew what they were doing. Uh, but I didn't think about it beforehand, it and, and kudos to the coaching ball. staff. Yeah, yeah, kudos for the coaching staff great to uh, do a good come up with it, and kudos to the the players for, especially Diamant, although he made it look look kind of weird and uh, kind of stressful. He he ended up doing a very nice job with it. Uh, took as much time as possible without taking a hit. So um, good for him, and and overall on the game, um, you know. Like you said, just a very disappointing day by the offense. Um, I understand that the running game right now is very hampered by uh, a lack of 
running back depth right now uh, and really a lack of running back explosion. Uh, they are, in my opinion, desperately missing trio of guys. Cole Guest, who I think can be a really good player for Indiana uh, as soon as next year. I'm glad that he's able to, to take a red shirt uh, after the ankle injury that he suffered. But I think he showed a real amount of pop and explosion in hitting the hole that is just absent from other Indiana backs right now. I'm missing him, missing Devontae Williams, missing Mike Majette, uh, who all provide so don't, don't some forget level your of explosion. Too. Right, right. And and the offensive line, uh, you know, the offensive line just really struggling with, with personnel. Uh, Coy Cronk did not play uh, on Saturday. So he there, was... there were just so many jumbled up, uh, jumbled up personnel in the offensive line. So I think the running game, understandably, uh, down some bodies, but still, uh, you would expect more. But the major disappointment was the passing game. This is not a terrible Purdue secondary. You know, their run defense is worse than their pass defense to be able to throw on uh, fairly easily. The weather was not a factor at all, so you can't blame that. It was just a very poor outing from Richard Legault right from the start. Uh, Xander Diamant did not help with his pass attempt that was picked off. They put IU's defense in bad situations all day, and it it was kind of a, a relief when Indiana even completed a pass or had a pass just fall innocently to the turf because every time he dropped back, it was a complete adventure, uh, and often ended up being a misadventure. I mean, it was it was really bad. It was as lost as I've seen an Indiana offense uh, against a you know I, I think I, I'd compare it to the uh, to the Game Nate Sutfeld was injured against Penn State's defense and did not play, and then they lost uh, lost Demon quickly, and it was Danny Cameron out there. But um, that was against a very good defense against Penn State, and against you know with you're missing your your quarterback, your leader. This one, there's no similar excuses, uh, and I it was a baffling, bafflingly performance from the offense. However. Uh, the, the day was safe. Like you said, the game was won by the defense. Uh, the numbers for Purdue scoring-wise, very misleading. The defense for Indiana, I thought, was mostly dominant. Uh, Purdue's opening drive of the second half was their best of the day, and uh, they score with D'Angelo Yancey to give them the lead. They didn't really do anything after that. They they got somewhat, uh, you know, they, they threw into the end zone uh, on fourth down, that uh, Jonathan Crawford intercepted to pretty much steal the game. Yep. It led to that Demont intentional safety. Um, so IU's defense ended up forcing uh, nearly as many turnovers as the Hoosiers gave away. So as sloppy as IU was, as bad as IU's offense was, the defense allowed them to stay within striking distance, put together just one or two good drives. Uh, that's all the offense needed to do, and they did that, you know, Good for them, uh, and it was sparked by the running game there. Divine Redding, I thought, had some some nice moments. I thought he he ran hard, um, indecisive at times, too much dancing, but ran pretty hard. I thought to Alex Rodriguez, uh, when he got the ball a couple of times, I thought he deserved some more touches. And Ricky Brookings wasn't bad either. Um, the receivers just honestly didn't have very many chances to make plays, so I can't blame them. Uh, Indiana moving forward here for these bowl practices, 
uh, they've got to figure something out for this passing game to make us feel better heading into next season. But uh, the defense did a tremendous job. I thought Marcus Oliver had a, uh, a whale of a game. Uh, he was a menace in Purdue's backfield for the majority of the, the contest. Jonathan Crawford had a good one. Uh, Richard Fant struggled a little bit with Yancey, um, but you know that he, he's a very good receiver, and Fant did not have his best game, so that's going to happen. Uh, overall, um, it's a win that I, I feel somewhat good about it. Uh, number one, I like I said, I don't care about style points here, but it was nice to see, and it's happened before this season, but it was nice to see yet again when Indiana's offense, in this case, was totally inept, they can still win a game against a Big Ten opponent because of their defense. And that, that's, that's a real positive, and I, I don't see that changing uh, heading into the next season. If anything, this defense is only going to improve. So uh, that's a real positive for me moving forward. And, yeah, I know that you can focus on the negatives of the offense, but you also have to offset that with the incredible positive that has been the defense. Yeah, and I think you're you're exactly right there. And let's go back to Richard Lego's day. I, I think that yep. a lot of that was caused by pressure up the middle. You saw in a couple of, yep. of his throws, outside of the interception, that was a Hail Mary at halftime. Um, yeah. that is, you know, you're just throwing it up for grabs. It is what it is. But I think the other two throws, Jake Replogo was in his face all day, and he did not have a chance to to throw the ball, um, step into his throws, and, and put enough, um, you know, power behind it to get the ball downfield. You saw uh, the especially the second pick, which was a deeper ball to Mitchell Page. It just fluttered. Um, and that was because Replogle was right in his face. So, you know, we, we've seen Lego make good throws. We've seen his arm strength. But, you know, yesterday just – or Saturday did not – he was not able to get into a rhythm. And then when he did throw the ball deep, the, a Purdue defender was in his face. And, and a lot of that is going to have to be cleaned up in bowl practices. Uh, hopefully guys could come back um, – from injuries, you know, Wilson said Brandon Knight could be available. We'll see. Um, the rumors that Demetri Camille could play in a bowl game, but if you're going for a medical red shirt uh, and you think you could get it, do you, do you really hold him back for for one more game, one more bowl game, um, instead of playing yeah, for next need, year? Um, yeah, they'll need to get have, a very clear answer on that, uh, and I, I'm sure that they are talking. Uh, with the people that would be making those decisions, because if if there's, I'd say if there's any chance that Camille, uh, well, it's up to him ultimately, but I would advise him that if there's a, a, a decent chance that you get that sixth year and you want it, uh, then you you know you you sit out the bowl game uh, and and get yourself a hundred percent healthy uh, and and you know, battle for that right starting right tackle spot again, uh, coming yep. back for your sixth season. Because I, I would hate for him to not be a hundred percent, which he wouldn't be. I mean, he he would not be a hundred percent game shape wise um, coming back for a bowl game. I would hate to see him, you know, rush it back. Now, if if he's not ultimately not interested in in a fifty fifty shot at a sixth year. 
or just decides, you know, I, I, I don't want to, to take a sixth year anyway, uh, then, you know, try to come back for the bowl game and contribute what you can. I understand. And that's ultimately going to be up to, up to Dimitri Camille, I would say. But uh, if he'd like the sixth year, I hope that he, you know, doesn't rush things and, and uh, takes the long game approach and then is rewarded with the sixth year. That'd be, that'd be a big boost. Yeah, and I think he has NFL aspirations. I think he can be a late-round pick uh, or even a a free-agent signee. So coming back for the sixth year would help that. Um, But we'll uh, see more on how that develops. But other than that, you know, your your Koi Kronk will be back. He was was under the weather um, on Saturday and couldn't go. So he'll be back for the bowl game. Uh, and, and then you've got to think that these young guys, and this is the most important thing, and I said this after the Michigan game, is that these practices are going to help you build depth, uh, especially with your redshirt freshmen uh, and some of these younger guys who need the game reps. A guy like Koi Kronk needs more practice reps. A guy like uh, Simon Stepniak, who played a lot on Saturday, uh needs yep. more reps. Uh, Hunter Littlejohn is, is a guy who needs reps. Uh, guys, yep. th- there's a handful of them, and, and we'll go over uh, these later in the in the coming weeks on, on what players benefit the most. Uh, but to me, you know, that's, that's where these bowl practices are great, that, that you can Absolutely. build some depth, get some guys back healthy, work on some things. Richard Lego, he's still only been with this program a year. Um, came in last year, got a couple practices in uh, before the bowl, and then, um, you know, had spring ball, fall camp, and and that's the season. So the more he gets practice reps, the more he can uh, come back and, you know, work on the things he needs to work on, Uh, you know, throwing a better ball, um, a more accurate ball, stepping up, avoiding pressure, uh, throwing under pressure, uh, things like that. So he he'll work on things, and then you you know we'll see where they go from there. Uh, and and next the, the next little bit of news, TJ was that Xander Diamant is, has announced his you know so-called retirement from football uh, due to issues yep. uh, concerning concussions and injuries. And um, he announced it after uh, well he went through senior ceremony, so he knew something was up. Uh, but he announced it after yep. the game. Wilson alluded to that he. You know, he, he's a running quarterback. He would bet money on that. He weighed no more than 161 pounds if you put him on a scale right now, which is tiny when it comes to, to Big Ten quarterbacks. So, you know, he took a beating, and how he runs in this offense is that he's going to be a ball carrier and he's going to be exposed to big hits from big dudes on other teams, and he's not going to be the full-time quarterback where he's dropping back and throwing like uh, Lego would do or or Sudfeld would do and things like that. So he knows he doesn't really have a future beyond the college level. Um, He said he wasn't going to the NFL. And I think he's making the smart decision for his future. Uh, You know, you got to take care of yourself. And this is going to be a big issue in all of football uh, going forward as we see more and more younger players uh, duck out due to injury concerns and, and concerns over concussions. Uh, but to me, uh, Dander really sparked the offense in in the game, uh, but he did make some yeah. critical mistakes. Uh, you know, the, he was over three passing. 
he missed a wide open uh, Danny Friend across the middle uh, that would have probably gone for first down. I think it was, uh, you know, a, a second and, and long or a third and long, or a second and long. Uh, he missed a Westbrook who was wide open on the sideline on another throw. And then the third throw, uh, he was rolling out and, and just chucked it up and it was an interception and he can't have that. And then on the game winning uh, touchdown or the go ahead touchdown uh, for IU, uh, he dropped the snap and nearly cost him the game. So, you know, it, that's what it, that's yeah. what life with Xander is. You're going to have to take the good with the bad. And, you know, as much, as fun as it is watching that uh, bacon and legs pa- packages, every time he, he scrambles or, or takes a snap, you, you hold your breath because we've seen him make catastrophic mistakes that have cost uh, his team, uh, you know, games and, and points. So, to me, it's he he's sparked the fan base. He has. He's become a fan favorite. Uh, he he's a great dude, uh, and he's he's had his moments. I mean, he had his freshman year the bucket win over Purdue. Uh, he scored the winning touchdown. Uh, you know, yesterday he he sparked that offense really well. Uh, and then you have the the game against Maryland, uh, where you know that bacon and legs package uh, was born. And you, you could see what he could do, and he, and he became a real weapon uh, in the run game. And you know, it, it's sad to see him go, but at the same time, uh, he's got to do what's best for him. Yep, absolutely, I 100% agree with all of that. Uh, a lot of fun to watch, and he is going to play uh, going to play the bowl game. And uh, I hope that he has a, a big impact in that as kind of his his send off. Um, you know, I. I I think that it, uh, it, the Indiana coaching staff did a, a nice job, as far as I'm concerned, um, with how they ended up utilizing him. Uh, it was more than I would certainly predicted uh, before the season, and, and I think that they found the nice niche for him that uh, helped Indiana in a, in a few games, and uh, they certainly helped Indiana against Purdue. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think it says a lot – uh, about him that he was was willing to accept that role, and I know that a lot of people were calling for him to uh, to be a starter, and and he you know, we never heard any discontent coming from come from him or any uh, any signs that that he was displeased with not uh, not being given you know more of a role as a, as a passer. I think he accepted. No, his he's role been and, a great teammate. Did it he very well, and I think he deserves, uh, deserves plaudits for that. He's always very excited on the sideline, cheering for uh, cheering for his teammates, and and you know whether he's in there or not, it seems like Richard Vago has a good relationship with him. As those two have handled rotating in and out as well as one could possibly expect, I'm sure they'd both, if they had their choice, I'm sure they'd both like to be in there every snap. But uh, they've they've handled it very well, and the offense certainly did not function as we would like to see uh, at all times, but ultimately they made just enough plays on Saturday. Uh, like you said before, you know, we could say the same thing with Rutgers uh, during the Rutgers game. Thank goodness they were playing Rutgers or thank goodness they were playing Purdue because they would not have beaten very many people today. Uh, but, you know, that's the way it works. Uh, you, they're, Indiana's played a lot of bad teams and lost to a lot of bad teams before. Uh, and Indiana has 
played a lot of football, and this will be their 11th time going to a bowl game. So I, I don't care that necessarily beat any world beaters to get into this position. That's how a lot of teams get to bowl games, is you beat who you're supposed to, and, you know, that's that equals up to six or seven wins or whatever it ends up being. Uh, so, and Xander Diamant was, was a part of that. I, I think I speak for for uh, for many when I, I say, you know, best of luck to him in his non-football future. Uh, hopefully he has, you know, enjoyed all the football has, that he's gotten out of football, um, you know, scholarship and education, and then hopefully he puts that to good use and, and has a successful career in whatever it is that he, he decides to do. Uh, as for Indiana's depth chart at quarterback, we'll, we'll talk about that as we get into off-season stuff, but uh, I think the Hoosiers still feel good about what they have coming back at the position. Uh, but it, it will change the offense some because, you know, you don't have that, that running threat now uh, in in quarterback. I think Peyton Ramsey is the most mobile of the guys remaining, but he's not as fast as Xander. He is bigger. Uh, so maybe you'll see something similar with Peyton Ramsey. He's more of a throwing threat than Xander was. So, But who knows? We'll, we'll talk about that more in detail later on. But you're right. He did spark the offense, especially uh, the game-winning drive that Indiana had. Yes, he fumbled the ball on a snap and gave all of us heart attacks, but uh, quickly recovered, and, and Indiana's running game uh, answered the call when they absolutely had to. The trailing, they they had to get something going in offense, and they turned to that and uh, and had a nice drive. I'm not sure what the numbers were on that 63 yards or something like that uh, on that final drive. That it, it certainly wasn't it pretty, was but a, it ended um, up being effective. 60, ele- uh, yeah, an 11 play, 61 yard drive. Um, that ate up okay. four forty one on the clock, um, yeah. you know, and and they got the two point conversion. Um, you know, yep. that brings me to my next point: is the refs were absolutely atrocious all season, and, and the calls yep. that went both for and against the Hoosiers, and uh, with other teams, the Big Ten refs have got to figure it out. Uh, there was that uh, intentional grounding call Harbaugh, that cost IU, yeah. Um, I, I, they've got to figure it out. If that means making them full-time employees of the Big Ten and doing year-round training, um, help these guys out. You know, they're – refereeing a football game is a difficult job um, in terms of dealing with the speed and all that stuff. And if you're doing it as a part-time job and you're exhausted and tired and not 100% focused, things like that, like that intentional grounding call where Danny Friend was oh in the God. area – um, and, you know, they throw the flag, and, and it costs IU 20 yards of field position plus an additional five uh, when Kevin Wilson, who had every right to complain, complained, and the ref's thrown a, a sideline flag on him. I, it, it's, it's, it's embarrassing, and it's embarrassing to the conference. It's embarrassing to these guys on the field. Um, it's time to make these guys full-time employees, uh, guys and, and gals, uh, full-time employees of the Big Ten Conference, have them, you know, do their, their places that have year-round football, have them do high school games, have them do spring practices, have them do spring games, uh, then send them out in the fall, do clinics, watch tape, uh, you know, pay, pay these guys. 
college football makes a tremendous amount of money, and if you cannot make uh, referees full-time position, uh, it, you got it, It's this is going to continue to happen, uh, no matter how many camera angles or replays you have. I mean, ESPN was bragging about. It. I think they had 50 cameras at at the Ohio State Michigan game. Yet everybody was complaining that there was not one good replay of that play, you know, regardless of what you thought the call was, um, whether he got the first down or not, there was not one good replay that showed you definitively that he got it or not. Um, And they had 50 cameras. So, you know, they might be too reliant on replay, um, you know, and and why can't they go back and replay that intentional grounding to see that Danny friend was in the area? I mean, sure. You, you, you missed, you missed the guy right there. Um, But, you know, have, have the replay buzz down. Hey, there was a guy there. Pick up that flag. And then you had the same call against Purdue um, where it should have, you know, I think it was a screen. Markel Jones, you know, got got caught up in the trash uh, at the line yeah. and, and fell down. And, and Etling, or not Etling, um, Blau uh, threw it away. Uh, and, and they threw a flag for grounding and picked it up uh, because, Markel Jones is in the area. If Markel Jones is in the area, Danny Friend was in the area, and you know that that play yep. cost IU a touchdown. It, it it moved them back twenty twenty five yards. Gideon had a thirty yard punt out of the end zone um, from the five. It was a horrible punt, and then you saw a weak pass interference call uh, against Rashard Fant, and then uh, they scored one play one play later. So, uh, yep. and don't forget that that um, the referees also missed a call where Purdue offensive lineman basically cold-cocked an IU defensive lineman uh, and and wasn't thrown out of the game. So uh, that's – it it was bad. It it was bad all year. It was bad both ways. Um, So it's not just a bitter IU fan saying that the referees stunk. It was bad both ways. There were calls that that both ways were like, what in the world? Um, So – uh, memo to the Big Ten, start paying your refs, train them up, and um, maybe next year we won't have to uh, complain or explain why uh, obvious calls are being missed. Uh, so, But otherwise, let's get to bowl picks, TJ. We put out our bowl picks this morning. I should say they're your bowl picks, uh, but it, it's sort of a team effort. Uh, why don't you tell us where you have IU going? Yeah, I, yeah, I I know that uh, a lot of people are desperately hoping for a Music City Bowl matchup in Nashville against Kentucky. Uh, I'm not one to rain on that parade. I think that'd be awesome. I also don't think it's realistic. Uh, I I envision Kentucky going to uh, the Music City Bowl. I think that that definitely could happen. Uh, I don't see Indiana going there. I I think uh, there are a few teams ahead of them before they would get to Nashville. So uh, I have Indiana going to Santa Clara, California to play in the Foster Farms Bowl against the Washington State Cougars. Um, there are a number of Pac-10 or Pac-12 teams that that could be in that spot. Uh, they're, they, they ended up being a very weird conference. So they've got six teams that have eight wins or more. And that's it. They don't have anybody with seven or six victories. Uh, it's kind of a haves and have-nots um, there where the Big Ten has, you know, three teams at six and six kind of vying in there like the pinstripe bull. 
uh, Foster Farms, um, Quick Lane, all sort of a jumbled up you know, mess right there. Indiana can't go back to the pinstripe bowl, and I think they're ahead of Maryland for the uh, the slot. I I don't know if it's reality or if it's in my head. I envision Foster Farms Bowl uh, picking kind of ahead in a pecking order, um, and I, I think they'd take Indiana over Maryland as a result of, one, I think a, a, a larger fan base out west, and two, uh, I, it matters a little bit. Uh, it would be a tougher opponent, so it's not to say that Jump for Joy Indiana made the Foster Farms Bowl. Now we go no, and get to, get to play somebody from the Pac-12. Yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a much uh, much tougher opponent. Expensive trip. Yes, expensive. Um, if it were the Quick Lane Bowl, it'd be an ACC opponent that would likely be six and six. Uh, NC State, Boston College. Uh, Wake Forest, a rematch with the Demon Deacons. All of those are possibilities. Uh, Eleven ACC teams became bowl eligible, so um, and they do have, I think, three teams at six and six as well, just like the Big Ten does. Uh, but I, I have Foster Farms Bowl, uh, Quick Lane Bowl would be the second choice uh, in my in my head as far as uh, what I think could happen. So. Um, I think one of those two is a pretty safe pick. I know the uh, Indiana Athletic Department uh, ticket office sent out an email with four destinations, the two I mentioned, plus uh, Music City Bowl in Nashville and the Heart of Dallas Bowl, Dallas. Uh, I don't think those two are are remote possibilities. So uh, I think it's going to be one of those, and I went with Foster Farms Bowl. Uh, we will see on uh, Sunday, I guess, uh, what the official yes, uh, uh, bull pick is, bull and then we'll, we'll talk all about that. So, yeah, bull announcements according to uh, Jeff Keg of IU, who's their uh, football SID. Uh, bull announcements yep. should come out Sunday afternoon. I think last year it came out around 4:30, uh, is what yeah. Keg said. Um, they had a ESPN had a brutal uh, bull selection show. Uh, it went on for like nine hours. So um, hopefully they don't do that again, um, and it's just a cleaner, uh, a cleaner way to announce the bowl. Uh, just quickly, maybe like their selection show for Selection Sunday. But um, what needs to happen to go to the um, go to the Music City Bowl? Does this, you know, the playoff rankings come out on Tuesday? Uh, there is a lot of chatter that I, that the Big Ten could get. Uh, two teams in. Is that the only way that IU gets bumped up to the Music City Bowl? Yeah, I think that would be definitely the most direct route. Um, it's even then, it's difficult for me to see it happening. I think Minnesota uh, would kind of be next up there. I have Iowa going to that bowl now with Minnesota in the Holiday Bowl. Um, but I, I could see uh, it becomes realistic if that were to happen, let's say um, Wisconsin and Ohio State get in uh, to the playoffs, then it becomes realistic um, at that point. So I guess if you want to see IU, Kentucky, and Music City Bowl, um, you know, maybe you know, root extra hard for the Badgers uh, this coming Saturday, I guess. So you think if, if Penn State wins the Big Ten – uh, they would just be slotted to the Rose Bowl. And then would that move everybody that else my, down? Yeah. Uh, I, I 
I still think I still think we'd have uh, Ohio State in the playoffs. I, I personally think that uh, four Big Ten teams will get into kind of the New Year's Six uh, projections. Um, I think I think Michigan's going to the Orange Bowl. Uh, I think Ohio State's in the playoff. I think the winner of the Penn State Wisconsin game goes to the Rose Bowl, and the loser uh, goes to the Cotton Bowl. That is uh, as an at-large at-large team the, the New Year's Six. Um, so I now that's that's my projection. Uh, I think it's if two Big Ten teams got in the playoff, then I am 100% certain that there'd be two Big Ten teams chosen for at-large spots. I'm not 100% certain two Big Ten teams get are chosen. You know, for those New Year's Six Bowls, we know somebody's going to the Rose Bowl from the Big Ten. Uh, It'd probably I think be Michigan. They, yeah, if yeah, if if two Big Ten teams got into the um, got into the playoffs, yeah, two and Big Ten teams in the playoffs, someone in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah it'd be Michigan to the Rose Bowl, and then uh, you know, a, a fourth into. Uh, probably the Orange Bowl would be the, the first one up, and then maybe the Cotton Bowl would select like a, I don't know, a USC as an at-large instead of a, a fourth Big Ten team in there. Um, but I I think it's more likely uh, that Indiana heads to Nashville if, uh, if, I don't know what a percentage, but a low percentage that that, that ends up happening. Uh, I think Foster Farms Bowl would be a uh, like a 60% for me with with uh, the Quick Lane Bowl at like 35% and then all others at 5%. So, um, but I, I would love to see Indiana Kentucky play in Nashville. I think that would get a great crowd, uh, and I that that might be a reason that uh, that the Music City Bowl organizers go for that um, and work that out. So I, I I think it would really be a, a big event. Um, for for fans at both schools to be able to play each other in football at a place that you can drive to in a day. Yeah, there are some uh, – Music City Bowl would be a terrific. Uh, you know, regardless of who the opponent is, and, and I know you have Kentucky yeah. there, and yeah. that's what it seems like it's going to be, um, to rekindle that rivalry on the gridiron, I, I know it's out of yeah. the question that the basketball teams would play until – either Crean or um, John Calipari leave uh, leave one yeah. of their schools in, in one way or another, uh, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen for a while. But maybe they could rekindle this football rivalry, and, and having a sold-out bowl game in Nashville um, can talk some sense or show some sense to these ADs that, hey, this is a game that's, you know, with the scheduling rules of the Big Ten and the SEC now, uh, and with, you know, college, the, the playoff implications maybe down the road, that this could be a quality game, non-conference game to play. You play it on, on the campuses. Um, it's an easy drive for fans of both teams to go to. I, I think it would be fun, but um, it, it does – you're right. It does seem like a long shot, and I, I'll keep my fingers crossed for for Nashville because that that certainly I, I do think um, that that game would be sold out. I think there are some yeah. six hundred thousand alumni within a 
a six-hour drive of Nashville uh, for IU. I don't know the number on Kentucky, but it should be about the same, maybe even more. Uh, but probably to, to me, that that game would be awesome. Uh, but it's a bowl game. It's another, it's another month of football, as Kevin Wilson said. Uh, TJ, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your bowl picks with us. Those are up on the site now. Uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at Hoosier underscore huddle. Don't forget to use our Amazon ad. Uh, it's Cyber Monday, so go click on that, buy some, some cool toys, and uh, don't forget to use it for the holiday season. TJ, thank you, and, and we'll talk again soon. Pleasure, absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to be, uh, to be able to have another uh, – I mean, we can overanalyze whoever the bull opponent is to absolute death, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Check back to HoosierHuddle.com all uh, month until the bowl game, and then uh, we'll cover recruiting as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. Enjoy your Monday. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.